So for a very long period of time, businesses, when they communicate, it's always positive. It's always buy our product. There's always been this push to sell. And that's that's the natural position of a of an organization to communicate. What we say and what we try to work, particularly with sustainability and marketing departments, is let's think about how you communicate with your consumers in a different way. Let's talk about learning. Let's talk about understanding. But let's also talk about failure. Ultimately, sustainability is complex. It's difficult. It's costly. It's really hard to turn around within an organization. But none of that means that we shouldn't try and we shouldn't do it. But what it does mean is that businesses are going to trip up it's going to be difficult and that's okay to communicate when you find it hard. In fact, I would utterly encourage businesses to to document that and share that more widely because in that is the real learning. And actually business, in my opinion, has a responsibility to share that learning with one another. Welcome back to The Purpose Effect, the podcast about purpose-driven businesses and what we can learn about solving some of the world's biggest problems from the women who are solving them. I'm Elena Kersey, and I'm on a mission to learn how we can build better, better work, stronger communities, a healthier planet. If you believe there's a better world out there waiting for us, then this podcast is for you. What great communicators have in common is an ability to bring their audience on a journey with them, to convince their listener to hop on for the ride and then inspire them to keep going, even once the story's over. Nowhere is this more important right now than how we communicate on sustainability. The climate change conversation is becoming increasingly polarized and politicized. And the result of this is we are just not moving fast enough to stop a climate disaster. So we need to bring as many people along for this ride as possible. A great place to start is with the brands we know, use, and love. And so that's why I wanted to speak to Helen Neal about how brands can communicate on sustainability well in a way that actually inspires action. Helen is the founder of HN Communications, an award-winning sustainability communications agency, and she's also the founder of Leaders Live, an events business that helps deliver global events on sustainability and decarbonization. Like many purpose-led founders, Helen kind of stumbled into setting up her own agency. She knew she wanted her work to have real meaning and that she wanted to make real change, And when she stopped getting that from her corporate career, she ventured out on her own. I think there's this kind of, you know, very quiet difficulty that women face still within going back to the workplace after having children. That whilst, yes, in lots of businesses there is encouragement, I think they don't always get it quite right. It became really clear to me that um, my career trajectory from that organisation was not going to last. I wasn't going to be able to grow in the way that I wanted to. I joke with my kids now and I tell them, you saved my career. If it wasn't for you, I would probably still be there in a corporate environment doing that, you know, that same thing. And I say to them, you created my career. You know, this is, this was like a second life for me. And I definitely felt like this is the one that I should now be doing, you know. This was something that really resonated with me. And I'm sure this and the rest of her story will resonate with you too. And you'll definitely learn how to make your message inspire action. So let's get to our chat with Helen Neal, sustainability communications expert and founder of HN Communications and Leaders Live. But before we do, I'm going to pour myself a hug in a mug with a cup of tea bird tea. 
I love Teabird tea, and not just because the packaging is absolutely beautiful, although it is, or because the tea is organic and comes in biodegradable tea bags, although it does, but because I love the way Teabird Tea's founder, Ashley Cotterell, uses her business to support other businesses doing good. Ashley partners with brands and not-for-profits doing good for people and planet because she believes that this is how you build sustainable businesses. And I couldn't agree more. So if you want delicious, healthy, beautifully packaged tea that makes impact, you can get 20% off using the code HUGINAMUG20. I'd recommend the Earl Grey and Orange. It's my favorite. Communications for me has always been something I, I think I've just had in me. You know, even from a very young age, I'm a talker and I feel like that's where I feel most comfortable But I didn't start off in PR and I didn't um, start off in in comms at all. My job when I when I left university, I um, I wrote off to 50 MPs uh, here in the UK uh, and one got back to me (laughs) out of the 50. And um, I I asked for some work experience because I was I, I knew that once I'd left university it was really important to me that whatever I did it need to have some kind of meaning and I think actually you know that will resonate with with so many of your listeners that you know why we do what we do and why we get out of bed in the morning is actually really important and I wanted to go and um I guess really understand you know being in an environment which really pushed change so I wrote off to these MPs, got, got one back that offered me some unpaid work experience for two weeks. Um, but I was really lucky in that during those two weeks, I guess this right place, right time, another MP was looking for um, uh, a researcher and uh, I, I, I took the interview and got the job. So within that sort of two-week window, I managed to get this, this paid job. So it was it was lucky. I spent some time there and I was fascinated by... These individuals who were deeply committed to purpose and causes, I didn't necessarily always agree with where they were were coming from, but I was fascinated by the way in which they communicated that, the way that they could galvanise support, the way that they could ignite um, inspiration in people. These were the things that kind of really fascinated me. I thought, what is that? How, how, How can one individual do that, whereas another can't? You know, we've all seen great speakers that kind of set our hearts alight and we've all sat in a room where you know we all we want to do is fall asleep to a boring speaker right and I just thought what what is what are those magic ingredients and I was fascinated by that as I continued my career I focused in on kind of government relations for for big corporates and that's really where the sustainability element came in I worked for an airline, Virgin Atlantic, for a while, and um, that was at the at the real start, really, about 15 years ago, of looking at how do we decarbonize air travel, one of the most carbon-intensive um, industries. And I was lucky that I worked for such a forward-thinking company at the time where they were experimenting with things like biofuels. Sadly, we haven't made a huge amount of progress in the, the aerospace industry, even sort of, you know, 15 years on. I then went into transport and uh, worked for Nissan, and uh, my role was to help introduce the first electric cars into the into the UK and then latterly into Europe. And this was at a time where electric vehicles weren't even allowed on the road. There wasn't policy that allowed these strange vehicles. We would get laughed out of rooms because we were trying to introduce these uh, new vehicles. And, and actually, you know, it's wonderful to see today this kind of growth in in EVs. So I think no matter where I've kind of trod in my sort of 
corporate career, I've always ended up being drawn back into some form of sustainable change that's going on within these organizations. And I think that's really where my, my love for it came. It's such a big challenge. It's, it's so difficult. And I think those are the things that, that kind of fascinate me. So I think that co- combination between loving communications and, and admiring great communicators and what makes that kind of magic ingredients coupled with this huge monumental challenge that we all now have about how we essentially save our planet from, um, you know, the extinction as, as we know it is, is my kind of sweet spot for me personally. That's my purpose and that's what I, I love to do. So that's really kind of how I started and how I kind of got to where I am, I guess. For some people, there is a moment when they realize, you know, uh, we can't continue to live the way we live or something happens to them personally which makes them realize that they really have to personally make changes and make an impact in this space. Did you have one of those moments or for you was this maybe more big picture? I had um, a career crisis and I think it will be one when I explain it that, that many people will probably be able to relate to. You know, I was on a great trajectory. I saw myself as always being in a corporate world. I was a you know, corporate high flyer. I loved what I did. Um, and then I had my two children and it became very evident to me that during that two year period of, of taking time off and looking after my young children and coming back, it was very hard for me to come back psychologically. I found it really difficult. And I remember the day before I, I went back, I sobbed into my pillow because I just, I felt like I was doing the wrong thing. And also, going back to an environment where I'd fallen several rungs down the ladder. And even though the company kind of said that that wasn't the case and, you know, we really support women to come back, I think there's this kind of, you know, very quiet difficulty that women face still within going back to the workplace after having children. That whilst, yes, in lots of businesses there is encouragement, I think they don't always get it quite right. It became really clear to me that... um, my career trajectory from that organization was not going to last. I wasn't going to be able to grow in the way that I wanted to. And it also dawned on me that ultimately I was giving over my future, my career to an organization and somebody else had control over my future and my career and where I wanted to head. And I just felt I can't do this anymore. And it was devastating because it was not what I thought I was going to be. And then you have this crisis of conscience, right? You think, well, this is this has been my purpose. This is what I was planning to do for the rest of my life. What, what the hell do I do now? And I, I really struggled, you know, two young kids trying to work out what on earth I do. I, I handed in my notice and the trigger, weirdly for me, was um, I had a conversation with my boss at the time and unbeknown to him, I'd had two other conversations with previous bosses who had said, you know, in a year's time, Helen, I think we can promote you. And this poor guy phoned me and said, uh, you know what, Helen, I think 12 months time, I think, you know, you could really take this, this senior position. And, um, you know, I really think you could do it. And I think he was, he genuinely meant it. And I think he thought he was, you know, being positive. And I put the phone down and I just remember crying. I just thought I can't have one more person tell me, oh, just one more year's time. And then you'll be there. You know, you'll be ready. And I thought, I've got to get out. So that was my, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, I think. And I, and then I left. Yeah. So it was 
not in a year, right now. I'm ready now. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. go out and do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. How many times can you keep proving yourself? And I, I think, you know, I felt very much like taking that time off to be with my kids did negatively impact my, you know, the perception of me back in the organization. Yeah. I also think in addition to all of the challenges of coming back to the workplace after having kids, when I speak to women, there is this element of one, the workplace doesn't work for me. So I'm going to build, you know, my own ship essentially. And then also part of, part of it is sometimes if I'm leaving my kids to do this job, then it better be worth it. You know, I better be doing something that's making a real difference because otherwise it seems pointless to me. What am I doing? Why am I working outside the home potentially for a paycheck that doesn't even cover childcare if I'm not making an impact? 100%. That's exactly how I felt. I joke with my kids now and I tell them, you saved my career. If it wasn't for you, I would probably still be there in a corporate environment doing that, you know, that same thing. And like you've just described in terms of that paycheck and childcare. And I say to them, you created my career. You know, this is, this was like a second life for me. And I definitely felt like this is the one that I should now be doing, you know? Yeah. I like that. A second life. So in this new phase, it's very much focused on sustainability and purpose communications. I wanted to understand what is the process that you go through with your clients to identify, you know, the starting place, the purpose statement when businesses come to you and want to make an impact or want better alignment? Where do you start with them? So I think often businesses will have some idea. They might not have the full picture yet, but they have some idea. And often they might have even a a written statement or a a reporting sort of structure in place. And I think it's about just understanding that, first of all. Does that fit and align with your overarching strategy as a business? I think often in the past, and I think it still happens, that you have a sustainability strategy that is a standalone and it's, it's kind of there kind of as a secondary document that gets reported on each year. Rather than it being totally baked into your business organization and your overarching strategy for growth. Now, that doesn't mean to say that, that sustainability is a mechanism for profitability directly. But, for, you know, for many businesses, in fact, I would argue all businesses, like any FMCG brand, if you are not doing what you need to do in order to be um, supporting the planet and supporting your suppliers in the right way, then you're not going to have a business long term. You know, how, how can a beer company continue to be successful doing like old practices and not embedding new sustainability practices if you then don't have the barley or the water and the right sort of um, talent and workers to continue to to grow that. So I think I think it comes with like a recognition that if we don't change, we are not going to survive. We're not going to be that business anymore. So I think it's about firstly ensuring that sustainability is fully embedded into your overarching business strategy. I do believe as well that it comes back to senior leadership and particularly the CEO of that organization. I've seen time and time again that you can have a great sustainability strategy. You can have an amazing chief sustainability officer. 
But if you don't have that CEO that has 100% got your back and is truly driving this throughout the whole elements of that business organization, whether it be marketing, finance, sales, um, production, if you haven't got sustainability transcending across all of those, then it's not going to work. You're going to fail. So I think it's about kind of sitting down with their business at, at that starting point and saying, right, where are we? What are your processes right now for kind of developing your sustainability? How are you measuring that? And I think really getting to understand where they're at and then work out where those gaps are. And I think it's, but you know, as I say, it's, it's so important that you've got that full buy-in from the top as well. And then what are the challenges? What are often the challenges that you see with businesses in, in communicating that effectively and in a way that they can get in because it's interesting you say that the senior leadership team is so important because clearly there needs to be buy-in not only externally from customers but also internally right from the rest of the organization yeah 100 percent. and I think one of the biggest challenges is one is around fear um fear of getting it wrong um fear of it being too costly fear of the unknown, because these are things that, you know, these are not the known practices of a business necessarily, you know, making these transitions and changes. Um, I think, you know, the other one that you point to is around internal buy-in. And I think that that's always a challenge because you're asking people to change. Uh, You're asking people to do things in a different way. You're asking departments to consider sustainability in a way that they've never baked into their their work and reporting before. So having that kind of collaboration is is super important. And so I think being able to understand what these challenges are is is a really important first step um, in terms of kind of unlocking how that business or organization moves forward. And what about like authenticity in the communications? Because with some businesses it is just greenwashing, right? It's something that they're doing or trying to embed into their communications because everybody else is doing it or because they think that this is the way to grow with a certain demographic. So how can you move away from that and actually put in place a program that's, you know, authentic? Greenwashing is bad. No business should do it. And I think we we come at that standpoint, you know, with any of the businesses that we speak to, we've got we've got no desire to um, to work with particular industries. It's just not our thing, and um, fossil intensive industries. But also, businesses need to be very willing to share the good and the bad. Um, and I think where we come back to this point around authenticity. There's a couple of things. One is that we really encourage businesses to, you know, think about how they communicate in a slightly different way. So for a very long period of time, businesses have always, you know, when they communicate, it's always positive. It's always buy our product. We are great. You know, there's always been this push to sell. And that's that's the natural position of a of an organization to communicate. What we say and what we try to work particularly with sustainability and marketing departments is let's think about how you communicate with your consumers in a different way. Um, Let's talk about learning. Let's talk about understanding. But let's also talk about failure. Ultimately, sustainability is complex. It's difficult. It's costly. It's really hard to turn around within an organization. But none of that means that we shouldn't try and we shouldn't do it. But what it does mean is that businesses are going to trip up. It's going to be difficult. Um, 
These are new ways of working. And that's okay to communicate when you find it hard. In fact, I would utterly encourage businesses to to document that and share that more widely because in that is the real learning. And actually business, in my opinion, has a responsibility to share that learning with one another. Because of course, again, old practices have always been that, you know, as businesses, we are in competition with each other. We're there to get one over on each other. Um, You know, we want to sell our product over your product. But with sustainability, that's just not going to work because one business alone is not going to solve the problem. We have to collaborate together. And one of the important aspects of that collaboration is sharing that knowledge, is sharing that difficulty and, and sharing those blueprints of where you've had success as well so that other businesses can come on board and replicate that as well. Because when we all do well, we all rise and we all get there quicker. And that's got to be the ultimate goal. So I think changing our mindset on how we communicate with sustainability, and that comes with also educating and being in collaboration with those traditional external you know, departments like marketing and sales to understand that there is a different way here that we can kind of communicate. And I think just lastly on this point, I think it's also about being mindful about what you do communicate. So let me give you an example. Let's say, um, you know, a a crisp company. Uh, The crisps are now suddenly, uh, you know, thanks to kind of renewable energy and the the PPAs that have been put in place, those crisps are now uh, being produced by 100% renewable energy within that those manufacturing sites. So you put a nice windmill on that crisp packet um, and you explain that this is, um, th- these are, these are you know, 100% renewable. But without the, the detail behind it and without the uh, clarity behind it about what that truly means, that's when businesses start to get unstuck because questions then get asked, okay, so the crisps are renewable, but is the packet recyclable? Were they baked using um, renewable heat as well or is that just electricity and I think this is where we've got the next challenge I think when marketing and sustainability come together is how can we share the truth easily and clearly so that consumers have true clarity over what those messages that they see on packaging and materials that are being communicated to to their audience and I think that's that's part of the next challenge that I think sustainability professionals and marketeers need to to work on. Because if we don't do that, this is where businesses start to get tripped up and they get their unintentionally greenwashing. They genuinely don't mean to do it, but because they haven't been fully transparent and they haven't explained the full detail, they come unstuck. So I think some of these are things that, you know, we're we're looking to kind of solve with that kind of collaboration between those two intersections for a business. Yeah. You're describing ways of working within business, which are much more collaborative across teams, right? Mm -hmm. And it reminds me a little bit of, you know, so-called mission-driven businesses, sometimes not-for-profits, I feel often do this well because they're lean, because they have limited funding, because you have a lot of people wearing different hats, and because the eyes are always on sort of the impact that they're trying to create. So I wanted to talk about what you see as being sort of the DNA of businesses that create real impact. And if there's anything that the for-profit sector can learn from not-for-profits uh, or maybe even vice versa. 
I think in terms of that DNA that you talk about, um, you know, I said at the beginning, you know, I think it all comes down to a few things. One is around leadership. Um, so that's number one. I think leadership, effective leaders who champion sustainability goals and, you know, hold their C-suite and themselves account to account in terms of driving that change of what they've committed to do, I think is utterly fundamental to a success. The second one that we've briefly touched on is around that collaboration, particularly internally. So that internal collaboration, so ensuring that sustainability isn't this kind of strange standalone department that's kind of manned by one or two super passionate people, but that sustainability transcends all of those business departments so that they are all communicating about it to their um, internal teams. And then I think thirdly, the last one is around kind of collective action externally. So this is when you um, obviously start to then collaborate beyond, sometimes beyond your sector. So I think, you know, obviously within your industry, but also way beyond that in terms of like-minded businesses that share that same drive and passion as you, but you may be in completely different sectors. And I think that that third-party collaboration with those NGOs is super important. It's this external third-party organization that is that is committed to driving change and that holds these organizations to account. And these businesses are, are very willing and open to open their books to them and be held accountable to that third party. For me, those are the three things. I think, you know, leadership, collaboration and collective action are absolutely kind of fundamental DNA attributes that, um, you know, I see good businesses doing. And then the second point you mentioned about what can we learn from, from NGOs. I think NGOs are fantastic at really nailing a purpose-led campaign. I feel sometimes when corporates do it, it can be a little cheesy often and they don't quite hit the mark. I think because ultimately, again, they're coming at it from perhaps these you know, traditional ways of thinking and working around ultimately we're here to sell a product. So there's always that tension, isn't there? Absolutely. So I think with with NGOs, they are super laser focused on that overall purpose um, and that genuine intention for change. And they are brilliant at kind of corralling like-minded organizations to come on board and champion that, um, that element of change. And I think one of the things that I have learned from working with NGOs and I think why our communications thinking is different is because they actively encourage and give a platform to businesses that are willing to share knowledge, are willing to share what they're doing and the challenges that they're facing and, and communicating on that as, as case studies, as part of these campaigns. And so I think there's a missed opportunity for corporates who are not um, – sharing and explaining the learnings that they are they are getting through the transitions that they're making around sustainability i genuinely believe that that sharing of knowledge and that collaboration which ngos are uniquely placed to do because they can facilitate that safe space for these organizations to do that i think is a is a great mechanism to build upon in terms of good quality communications when it comes to sustainability do you have any examples or any case studies, maybe from your own clients, of for-profit businesses who you think are communicating really successfully or maybe some details of a really successful campaign that you've been working on 
and maybe what's some of the lessons that, you know, other executives can take away from how that campaign was run and what those messages were. Yeah, sure. I think one of the ones that springs to mind, just because it's so recent, is around a great piece of work that I think Asahi have been doing around communicating with marketeers on sustainability and this space between communicating with customers versus um, communicating on sustainability overall. So this is in collaboration with the World Federation of Advertisers. Um, It's collaboration internally with their marketing teams um, and sustainability as well and the support and engagement of the CEO as well. So there's been a piece of research that has been done in collaboration with the World Federation of Advertisers and around 50 uh, global corporates that are are sharing a range of um, experience, knowledge and learnings around communicating with their customers and the topic of sustainability and understanding that data and information and then sharing that back with the world. And um, last week at the Cannes uh, Creative Festival sharing that information to those global marketeers and getting them to start to understand the difference uh, and perhaps the challenges and the changes and the journey they need to go on to be able to get this topic right. And the chief sustainability officer at at Asahi, um, who wouldn't naturally go to a particular event like this at all, you know, this is is marketeers and advertisers, being able to talk to them and, and share that sustainability perspective so that they can learn. And so I think this is a kind of beautiful way of this kind of uh, cross-pollination, if you like, of different disciplines and different mindsets and thinking that actually need to come together if we're going to accelerate that change around sustainability. And I think being open to, you know, for the sustainability departments as well, getting out of that traditional sustainability space and getting out and talking to the finance sector um, or the advertising sector about what's needed to happen within their departments and their organizations too. Whether we be in the NGO space or the corporate space, we need to get out of this world of just talking to each other. And I think, you know, the NGOs would be the first in, in the environmental space would be the first to possibly admit, maybe not all, but I think some of them would that have got that self-awareness that we are still talking too much to ourselves and I do wonder whether if we got out there much more and talked to a much wider audience on a regular basis, that we might accelerate things a little faster than what we're doing at the moment. I have this feeling that despite the fact that there certainly be a huge amount of improvement in the way um, all businesses talk about sustainability and environmental issues, it wasn't long ago that this was considered something that only governments and NGOs worked on. And now more businesses, you know, multinational businesses like Unilever and um, Heineken are also thinking about how they're going to change their own businesses to operate with less negative impacts on the world. But we're still not moving fast enough. So is there anything we can do to accelerate that a little bit or change the story? I think, you know, with any type of change, I think you know, there's a responsibility of governments to kind of step forward and show those signals to business that this is what's required. But there comes a point where um, governments almost need to kind of not hand over, but actually, you know, the realisation is that ultimately none of this change is going to happen. It's not going to be done by governments. It's going to be done by um, big business. It's going to be done by business and people and people within those businesses. 
but what I would like to to see personally that we kind of can galvanize that that change more quickly but do so in a way that's that's positive that's hopeful that's encouraging but that there's no room for greenwashing or you know um allowing people a break this there's no time to break we must go all in right now yeah and i think also perhaps being able to illustrate the direct impact that it will have on individuals you know because i think it's been a little bit of a for many people if they can't grasp how it's going to affect them, either their health or their wallets or the way they live, it's difficult for them to be really incentivized. But I also wonder, do you think that there will also be a big generational shift? Because I, when I look at the generation younger than me, many of them are very much engaged on a personal level. They are doing activism work in their spare time. They are changing their food choices drastically. So I really feel hopeful actually when I speak to younger people because I feel that maybe we're on the cusp of of a real change. I agree with that. I think, you know, the younger generation gives me hope 100%. They are infinitely far better than us and our older generations about grasping this topic. I genuinely believe they see the role of business in a very different way to how we and generations above us see business overall. I think um, there is a view that business is not just there to deliver profit, but they are also there equally to be a force for good. And we see the B Corp movement kind of really, really growing. Um, Many of my team are kind of 30 and under. They utterly demand this, you know, not just within the organizations that we work with um, and that they are passionate about this, but they also demand it within our business and what we're doing. So we're small, right? We, you know, we're 10 people and we, we like to say we're small and global and we work with some of the biggest global organizations um, out there doing great things but we're a small team but that doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't walk our walk just because we're we're small and actually I'm I'm really excited in the past couple of years how many tools and support have been created out there that actually small businesses like mine can start using so that we can be as focused as dedicated and as rigid as some of these big global corporates that have you know lots of uh, funds available to them to kind of bring in consultants, which we can't do. Do you mean like measurement tools? Yeah, measurement tools, um, carbon offsetting tools, campaigns that uh, make certain commitments around your business practices, your reporting or, you know, what you're there and you're committed to do, you know, whether that be, you know, paying a fair wage to, you know, business governance and the Better Business Act, for example, here in the UK, so all of these are things that even though we're small and it's, it's a realization for me even working in this space that I simply felt at the time a few years ago, I think we're just too small to be able to have any of the access to these sorts of things. I don't think we can do it. And actually within the past 12 months, largely driven by my brilliant team who have demanded this and said that there's things yeah. out there that we can do you know it's been a learning for me to make sure that we are doing these things too and you know that feels right you know we can't do the job that we do without being able to walk the walk as well and, and understand that learning I am hopeful that we are 
you know, in, in 10, 20 years time, these are going to be the future leaders of the world. I was interested when you were talking about the work that you do in terms of ensuring that within businesses that these agendas or the sustainability goals of a business are communicated by the team. And that could be, that should be everyone from the CEO to the finance officer, not just sort of their heads of sustainability. I think that's really interesting about how businesses are changing their approach to thought leadership because typically the CEOs and the senior leadership teams are sometimes a little bit like they're not people we can identify with or they're sort of like hidden figures, quite different to how founders of businesses are usually treated and usually communicate and really position themselves as sort of the personality of um, of the business that they founded. So I'm interested to know how you work with those leadership, senior leadership teams on their own communications and their own sort of thought leadership strategies. So one of the things we like to get in and do quite early on if we start working with a business is to sit down with the wider leadership team and we like to film them and interview them and we like to ask them genuine questions around their personal purpose, um, what sustainability means to them, how they are driving their personal purpose and the work around the environment and ESG more in general within the work that they do um, and where they see that future heading. And just really get to know them a little bit. And we, we film them and we interview them because we like to kind of build this bank of content that, you know, people wouldn't usually expect to see those parts of the business communicating. And that's really important in two ways. It's important that um, your internal business and your teams within those businesses realize that just because I work in finance doesn't mean that sustainability isn't part of my job. Being able to kind of talk around the topic of sustainability, even though you happen to be the person running the manufacturing plant, um, that's still going to affect you. You know, things like renewable energy, for example, these are still things that you want to be driving within that part of your, your business. So I think, you know, creating some content, asking them these questions is part of that kind of first step journey. Um, it also helps us to kind of identify where we can find the platforms that are right for them to be able to kind of share their knowledge and communications as well as part of that kind of wider work. Yeah. I want to go into some of the lessons that you've learned on these journeys. One, your own like personal journey as an entrepreneur and moving from the corporate world to venturing out on your own, but also in terms of what you've learned about how communications is changing and is being forced to change. I'm sure lots of entrepreneurs come to you for advice. What do you tell them? Well, one of the things that I found difficult when I, when I started out was that, you know, I was searching for the right answers. Um, but I think when you venture out on your own, you have to, you have to trust yourself. Uh, you have to believe in yourself, even when it doesn't feel like you can. Um, there are no right answers, but there's lots of information. And I think getting out there and asking the right questions, finding out information, and then bringing that all together in your head and coming up with the right decision for you. And even when you make those decisions, uh, you're not always going to get them right. 
and you're not going to be punished for it like you would do necessarily if you're in a corporate or you're an employee. You know, it's on you and it's on your shoulders. And that's okay because that's part of entrepreneurialism. You're going to get stuff wrong as much as you get stuff right. But as long as you learn from everything, you can move forward and make sure you don't make those mistakes again, right? So I think there's no right answers, but, you know, you can definitely make the the best answers that you can to kind of move forward as a business and believe in yourself and trust your gut instinct. And also just don't be too hard on yourself when you get things wrong. It's part of the journey as well. You're going to do that. So I think that that's often like the message that I try and give um, particularly women who are wanting to start out on this journey. Yeah. And have you changed your perspective on what effective communication looks like? Yeah, it's always changing. And I think um, I'm learning all the time, just even from last week, you know, listening to the advertising and marketing world and kind of where their head is at, you know, it always generates more thoughts and ideas for me about, okay, so this is their challenge. How do we then work with this part of the industry on the sustainability measures that aren't quite working right now? Why is that? You know, I think continuously being able to ask those questions, it keeps changing. Obviously, there's some base points of like what good looks like, and that should be your base level. But these things are always changing. And I think being open to that change and keep asking those questions to then, you know, recalibrate what that good looks like from those learnings and sharing that, I think is the way that I like to approach things. What does good look like to you? Good looks like to me is uh, honesty, authenticity, humility, um, and being utterly generous with the information that you have to hand that you know about. I think those are the things to me that are like super important when it comes to good communication. And then I think particularly when it comes to thought leadership, being generous with what you have to share is, is so important in your kind of business where what you are selling is your strategy and your own ideas on how to communicate. It sometimes for some people, they feel a hesitancy, right? About sharing too much. But I think that the more you share, actually, the more you get back, it just demonstrates that you do know what you're talking about. And you are someone who's going to be a real supportive, um, supportive asset to that business. So is there anything coming up for HN Communications or maybe Leaders Live that you want to talk about? So I would just say that in terms of what we've got coming up, we're starting to work on a program that's going to directly support chief sustainability officers or directors of sustainability. Their job is tough. uh, It's hard. um, And we're looking to provide this one-on-one support for those individuals in terms of how they communicate internally, but also making sure that they're on the right platforms to talk about what they're doing as an organization and partnering with great organizations and NGOs to help them move their work forward because we recognize just how difficult their job is we know them really well and so we're just working on this um this project to really kind of start helping CSOs directly with that one-on-one support to help drive their part of the business forward in in the ways that I've described today so that's that's our our next big challenge oh exciting um I'm going to be looking out for news of that But thank you. Thank you, Helen, so much for your time and also sharing so honestly some of the real difficult parts of this journey for you. And, um, and I think also most excitingly where, where the real hope is coming from. So thank you for that. 
Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. If you or your business is trying to build thought leadership, I think there were a few great takeaways from this conversation. Talk about your learning journey. Talk about what's going well, but also what's not going well. And see if you can use what you're learning to forge new partnerships within your industry. Next week, I'm talking to Micah Doyer, one of the founders of Epic Angels, one of the largest women-only investment communities in the world. There are lots of reasons why we need more female founders, but particularly if we're going to stand any chance of innovating ourselves out of a climate disaster. Diversity is key to innovation, and if there's anything that I've learned since being a member of Epic Angels, it's that this group of women love funding other women. So if you're a business owner or if you're looking to raise capital, you'll want to check out next week's episode. I would love to hear who you'd like to hear from next on The Purpose Effect. Send me, or even better, connect me to amazing women building purpose-led businesses. You can DM me on Instagram, or you can send me an email. All of the ways to contact me are in the show notes. And you'll hear from me again next week. Bye.